All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Heart of Flesh podcast. Uh, I'm joined once again here by my friend James Kayser. Uh, if you've been listening to our last episodes, we've been going through a series on the doctrines of grace, otherwise known as the five points of Calvinism. Um, and in doing this, you know, one thing we, we recognize is that we have been asking some really deep uh, and some really complex theological questions. I hope that you've been able to kind of bear with us. Um, but in the process of doing that, you know, we're looking to our Bibles to try to find answers to these things. Um, and I hope you're seeing that the scriptures do talk about these. And also that the scriptures have a tendency, and this is a good thing, to stretch our common conceptions of God and of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God's word really has a way of just uh, pushing us sometimes outside of the box of what is comfortable and simple. Uh, and, and it can delve into into places and questions that are complex and sometimes difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the scriptures are our source of objective truth. They are the, the main building block um, as we orchestrate our, our understanding of God and of ourselves. And we do find that they give answers to these questions and speak about them. So that is what we've been doing. Um, we've been trying to defend the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace, uh, not looking at simply theological traditions or, um, you know, w- what has historically been believed, but going to the scriptures and, and demonstrating from there some of these ideas. And, uh, you know, with that too, I just wanted to remind, uh, you know, our goals for doing this, because that, that's a question we have to ask ourselves. Why are we doing this? Why do we think it's important? Mm-hmm. First of all, God's word addresses these things, like I said. But our goals in doing this isn't necessarily just that everyone would agree with us or that everyone would become a so-called Calvinist. Really, uh, one of the main parts of, of why we're doing this is that is that the people that are listening would consider deeply these things in this discussion and would be driven to open up their Bibles and to read them and to critically think about these things on their own, to ask themselves, what is this text saying and in doing that, uh, would come into a deeper knowledge and relationship of the true and the living God. Uh, that is really a, a big part of the goal. So much of of what we need to understand in areas where we need to be corrected often is the way that we think about God and the way that we think about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And what the scriptures so often do is they exalt God and they lift him high and they, they proclaim him as powerful and gracious and good uh, and as a God who accomplishes all that he purposes um, and is an effective savior. And on the other hand, on the flip side of that question, or the flip side of that coin, um, the Bible has a lot to say about humans. First of all, that we are made in God's image, that we all possess infinite dignity, worth, and value. Uh, but because uh, of humani- humanity's fallenness um, and fallen nature into sin, um, we are, we, we, you know, we read the pages of scripture and we understand that we have a real serious problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we have a real serious spiritual problem. Um, and we have a holy and a good God and we realize that we are unholy. We are not good. We are bent towards sin. And <coughs> I mean, what, what that does is that, that the, those two things contrasted show us one, the goodness and kindness of God toward us. But also it, sh- it should humble us really, really deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope as we've been going through this, 
that that is what has happened. James, you want to add anything to that at all? No, I think that's a pretty solid intro. Um, yeah, I would just reiterate the, the purpose uh, behind what we're doing and um, trying to glorify God. And we believe these doctrines do so, and they're found in the scriptures. And we hope, um, not that you would necessarily agree with us, but that you would be um, driven to seek these things out in the scripture. And honestly, I feel like we've talked about this before, but um, putting together an email or some sort of app that can um, like take questions so that we could like dialogue with with the listeners, I think would yeah. be something that'd be fun to do. Yeah, we're, we're working on that. That, <laughs> yeah. that is something we want to do. So, you know, if you guys have questions when you're listening to this, we're looking for a way to uh, the best way to set up um, a way for you to get those to us and for us to interact with them, because we recognize that even when we're going through this. We can't cover everything, and there may be a lot of questions and good ones um, that we need to wrestle with. So mm-hmm. we're working on that. Hopefully, maybe by the next episode, we'll have something. Yeah, and it's just so important. We live in a culture. I'm about to get on my soapbox. We need to get into this. But we live <laughs> in a culture in which like dialoguing and disagreeing is seen as like unloving and mean and cruel, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. Uh, we can disagree with one another and still love one another deeply. And it's actually those conversations which usually sharpen us the most. Yeah. Um, when you just sit in a room kind of like we are right now with someone who agrees with the same things that I do, um, it's sometimes not as sharpening as it would be to be in a room with people who disagree, um, to be able to sharpen one another, one another and grow together. So we are definitely open to doing something like that. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I think so too. Well, uh, we're going to get into the topic of today's podcast, which if you've been following us um, so far, we have covered, you know, we're working through our the acronym of TULIP, uh, covering the five points of Calvinism. Um, and today we are going to on to the I of that, which is irresistible grace. Um, and we're going to try as, as or, you know, it's, it's often called effectual calling too. you know, we realize some of these some of these uh you know, in our TULIP acronym, some of these aren't really having the best name to describe what, what they really mean. Um, but the acronym is helpful. So we are going to hold to it. Yep. Um, but what we're probably going to do for the rest of the episode is refer to this as effectual calling. And and what we want to do, just to give you a heads up of where we're going with this, is we want to first kind of give you a helpful definition. Um, and then we want to demonstrate from the scriptures where we see this uh, and, and kind of clarify what it means. And then also, <clears throat> you know, at the end, hopefully, we want to describe what this looks like or the effect that it has. So <clears throat> I'm going to begin with a definition. And to do that, I am going to go to the Westminster Larger Catechism. If you're unfamiliar with that, I know we talked about it in a past episode, but that was a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but in the 17th century, uh, th- this, this Westminster confession of faith and the Westminster catechisms were written and they were widely accepted as a good uh, summary of reformed theology. And, you know, when I say reformed theology, um, I'm identifying like a specific tradition in history, but what we're affirming is that these things come from the Bible and are an accurate representation of what the Bible teaches. So, with that, I'm going to give their definition. It's from the Westminster Larger Catechism, question number 67. And it says this, what is effectual calling? And this is the answer that they give. I think it's a good one. And they say, effectual calling is the work of God's almighty power and grace, 
whereby out of his free and special love to his elect and from nothing in them moving him thereunto, he doth, does, um, in his accepted time, invite and draw them to Jesus Christ by his word and spirit, savingly enlightening their minds, renewing and powerfully determining their wills, so as they, although in themselves being dead in sin, are hereby made willing and able freely to answer his call and to accept and embrace the grace offered and conveyed therein. So <clears throat> that's a lot. That's a, a long answer. I want to just give a brief summary of kind of the important points. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, this is a work of God's grace. This is something that God graciously does. Um, the emphasis is in God's calling and his powerfully um, working in grace to, like they said in here, uh, renew uh, and enlightened the mind and the will, essentially. Um, it also involves God t- God's timing. It involves means that God uses. Um, you know, the, the, the example they, or the words they use is he calls by his word and spirit. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to get all the way into that, but when we see, you know, you think of passages like Romans one sixteen, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for all who believe. Or in Romans 10, when he says faith comes through hearing the word about Christ. So we understand that God uses means to bring about this effectual calling of people. And those means are the word of God being preached or, you know, it could be reading in your Bible. Mm-hmm. And then the spirit of God operating graciously uh, to bring about a, a a transformation of heart and mind and soul, um, often referred to as regeneration. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll get into that a little bit more in a, in a later episode. Um, a- another thing to highlight in this definition, because this can be, you know, this <coughs> is a lot of times part of the debate, but this work that God does is not manipulative. It isn't coercive. And you can see that in their, in their definition. Um, by the word and spirit, God enlightens the minds, uh, renewing and powerfully determining the will, and hereby he makes the sinners are made willing and able freely to answer his call and to accept and embrace the grace offered and conveyed therein. So we see God as the active uh, person working in this, but this doesn't um, involve manipulative or coercive action on the part of the person. Um, but involves it, it does involve uh, involve a, a new nature and the the free acceptance and uh, answering of the call by the person. Mm-hmm. But the important thing to note is that again, this is a work of of God's grace. He's seen as the active doer in this. Um, so yeah, th- those are a couple things to highlight just in that definition. So that that moves us on to the next point we wanted to do, uh, which is to see where do we see this in the scriptures, and hopefully this will um, help help build on that definition that we just gave. So I'm going to start um, with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about this. Uh, it's pretty clear that this this idea of effectual calling is in Paul's mind and vocabulary. I just want to demonstrate that. So if you go to the first book in the Bible. Uh, which is accredited to the authorship of Paul. Um, you it said is the first book of the Bible. The first book of the Bible that's written by Paul. Okay. Yep, sorry. Uh, which is the book of Romans. Yep. Um, it begins this way. 
Um, actually, I'm going to go down to verse 6. Oh, I'll just read it. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. So there we see that word called. Paul has, has in view that he was called to this office, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how Paul begins this letter to the Romans. And we see the word called in there a number of times, including Paul being called by God uh, for the sake of the gospel, called to be an apostle, set apart for the sake of the gospel. And then in verse 6, as he says, um, all of you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So that's <coughs> that's a bit, of the, a bit of the idea there. There's clearly a calling from God uh, that Paul has in view um, with respect to Christians in general, and in this case, in the Church of Rome. Yeah, let me highlight this um, before we move into a few more scriptures. The the heart of the discussion is we see in the scriptures that there's a calling to repent and believe in the gospel proclamation, mm-hmm. um, to repent of your sin and follow Christ and trust in him. Um, so there's that that external call. Now, what makes that effective? Um, is it man's volition to then um, will himself to believe, or is God working through his spirit um, beneath that? Um, what is the ultimate causal agents of an effective call? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so like we mentioned in the last, in the last episode, um, <clears throat> that you know, we talked about the obligation given in scripture to preach the gospel to all people yep. to make it known uh, without discrimination to who is listening. And that would be like what we would refer to as the external call. Mm-hmm. So it's this call of the gospel, urging all people to repent, to trust in God, um, to, to, to exercise faith in Christ. And, and in there is the promise that all who do that will, will be saved. But what we are recognizing also is that it seems pretty clear in the scriptures that Paul has in view another kind of calling that is internal and effectual mm-hmm. that involves a supernatural and gracious work of the Holy Spirit to actually bring to bear this salvation um, in the heart of a person. That That's kind of the idea. Now, yeah, thank you for adding that, James. I'm going to go on, and I think we're, we'll begin to see this as we as we continue to look. So I'm in 1 Corinthians now, which is the next book. Um, and I just, I, I want to show that this is very pervasive in Paul's, uh, in, in his books. You just, you have to kind of learn to see it. So in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul starts this way. He says, Paul, called by the, w- called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we see Paul referring to the churches as a people who are called. Um, In verse 9, you can also see kind of what it is that we're called into. So 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, Paul says, God is faithful 
by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, so that is part of what we've been called into. Now, later, and this is the same chapter. You just see how, how, how much this is in Paul's writing. But in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, Paul talks about um, the wisdom of the cross in comparison to the wisdom of the world. And he begins by saying the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So you see this contrast. And um, in verse 22 and 23, or 22 through 24, we're going to see the same idea. It says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Now listen to this part. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul identifies in this, in this contrast, he has, uh, you know, it's the same as in verse 18. It's the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So now with that same contrast in mind down in verse 24, um, he contrasts unbelieving Jews and Greeks in verses 22 and 23 with in verse 24, those who are being called or those who are called made up of both Jews and Greeks um, and to them Christ and Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God so yeah in in Paul's view that is basically synonymous to the the ones who are being called is synonymous to those who are being saved Mm -hmm. so that's where um, you know we we're kind of forced to make this distinction between this external call that goes out to everyone and this internal call that is a powerful work of God's spirit uh, that changes the mind and the heart and brings one to saving faith in Christ. And, you know, furthermore, as we, as we think about this too, like this... Can I just clarify quick? The, so when we talk about the internal and external call, these two things aren't um, separate. It's one call. So we would say the external call is someone preaching the gospel to you or you reading the word. And what makes that effective for salvation or what uh, causes regeneration is the internal call of God, giving you that new nature, mm-hmm. um, taking out your heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh. And you, as I'm saying all these things, you'll, you'll notice that it's also intertwined of what we've been talking about um, throughout this whole series, um, that with this internal call comes regeneration, being born again, um, the nature is just changing. Um, and how all this comes together and, and it, it works cohesively and logically as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the external call and the internal call are always working together. Yeah. Um, and that's where like the Westminster confession of faith, they say by means of his word and spirit, yeah. like the, the preaching of the word and then the work of the spirit is actually making this effective and bringing it about in people's lives. Now I, I want to also highlight too, um, as we've been going through, like this, this same idea is connected uh, and logically fitting into our understanding of the the whole doctrines of grace. Mm-hmm. And as we're going to see, I'm going to read from Romans 8:30 in a second here. But you know, we've talked about in the past about God's unconditional election um, that God, <coughs> you know, as Ephesians one said. Um, before the foundation of the world in love, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, yeah, essentially to be saved. 
what what that that doesn't mean well, well i should say this effectual calling is a necessary byproduct of election if that makes sense yeah so the idea is that all who are elected will be effectually called to salvation at some point in their lives um according to god's timing and using the means that god has ordained which is his word and his spirit yep so <clears throat> this is kind of naturally connected to uh election and it naturally flows from it and if that total, makes sense. and total depravity obviously well yeah yeah <clears throat> all are connected but yeah. the idea being that all whom god has elected will be effectually called yep into salvation yep. so that they will certainly be saved mm-hmm. is kind of the idea so I'm going to go to Romans 8, and we've been there a number of times, uh, but I'm going to start in verse 28, and hopefully this will kind of demonstrate this truth. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now verse 30, it says this, And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified so in that and we've talked about this in the past but you see what people call the golden chain of salvation so paul logically is connecting these things predestination excuse me calling justification and glorification mm-hmm. so you could literally think about these things forming a chain together and that they are inseparable from each other. Mm. So one necessarily leads to the next, to the next, um, and to the final end, which is glorification. So, yeah, you see there, there is an unbreakable link between predestination, which is, is election, and glorification, which is the final state of believers um, in a glorified body in the new heavens and new earth. That's the fullness of Christian salvation according to what the Bible teaches. And within that, between those steps, there are necessary things that must happen. And one of them is, as Paul records, that those who are predestined will also be called. And those who are called will also be justified. Uh, So yeah, there is an unbreakable connection between these things so that all are elected will be called and all who are called will be are are justified and all who are justified will be glorified uh that's kind of the idea and i would say um correct me if i'm would you say the heart of the discussion okay so we see in romans 8 and all throughout um the bible this calling even in abraham um god calling people and i would say the heart of the question is, is this a call effective or effectual? Is it irresistible or can man resist it somehow? And I would say that's kind of the heart of at least irresistible grace and in, in this discussion. Would you yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah. The common. So the uh, like the Arminian view or, or other views of this take some issue with this yeah. uh, because. Well, the idea is that God is is sovereign over all of these things and he is powerfully working his purposes. Yep. Now, the question and, and the objection is if man can't resist this calling of God, 
then man is not free mm-hmm. in the sense that we desire to be free. And <coughs> I, that, that's why earlier I noted um, in this, in the Westminster definition they give, that this is an act that changes the nature of the person, uh, is not manipulative, it's not coercive, but it is powerfully effective, um, enabling the person to willingly choose God. Yep. If that makes sense. So, you know, we've used this illustration before, but you could think about, you could think about, um, if you had two different plates of food and you set a rabbit before it, um, and one plate is a ribeye and the other plate is, um, a head of lettuce, the rabbit is going to always choose the head of lettuce freely. That's what he does. He's a rabbit. That's what he does according to his nature. So that's like, that. that is a picture of, say, example for us in our sin nature. Um, we freely choose and love sin. Now, that, that doesn't mean that everyone is as evil as they could be or everyone in the yep. same to the same degree is the same amount of sinful. But in our nature, we have this tendency that Paul says in Romans 1, to exchange the glory of God for something else, for a created thing, uh, to worship that created thing, whether it be our own image or, or to worship money or any of yep. these things. And it may even be a, a false religion or whatever it is. But we have we have this internal tendency, I mean, I shouldn't say even, even stronger than a tendency, to exalt self at the expense of the glory of God and oftentimes of the people around us. Yep. We, we have this, we have a, a sin nature that, um, well, you think about what, what Jesus says. He describes people as being slaves to sin. Yep. And Paul does the same thing. And then he also said, like, you must be born again. Mm-hmm. You need a new nature. And this is where we believe God is the causing agent yes. uh, of gifting us that new nature in his effectual call, regenerating us so that we can believe. So you could think of back back to the rabbit Analogy, illustration, yep. yeah. So <clears throat> now you could think if you took the rabbit out of the picture and you brought in uh, any carnivorous animal, you could bring in a lion. Well, what a lion is going to do is he's not going to look at the lettuce; he's going to go and eat the steak. Yep. And that's that is what he does. That's his nature, um, and that and that's a, a free decision. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I hope that's a helpful way to think about it. That you know, this isn't manipulative or coercive but the bible does teach that we are bound to a sin nature apart from god and when we are regenerated um when when this necessary powerful work of god's grace in calling us and regenerating us you know jesus uses the words being born again from above um this changes our nature so paul in Romans 6, he says, you were once slaves of sin. Now you have become slaves of righteousness. So the thing that is ruling your heart is no longer a sinful nature, but after regeneration and effectual calling, it is a desire to please God um, and a desire to glorify God. And now, <clears throat> yeah, I, I just, I hope, I hope that's helpful. And we understand like there, there's mystery in here. It's a little bit difficult, but, um, Regeneration and effectual calling is really, really bringing about um, a breaking with the sin nature Mm -hmm. and the beginning of putting to death that sin nature and the introduction of a new nature that loves God and desires to follow Christ. 
yeah, I think Ezekiel 37 uh, is a really good example. Um, the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel is standing in front of this vision and sees a valley of dry bones, and God says, prophesy to these bones. <clears throat> and the bones form together and muscles and sinews come together and they're alive again. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same way, God calls us out of our dead dry bones and brings us to new life, um, yeah. death to life. Yeah, even just that. <clears throat> that that concept is used so often in the New Testament. Um, like Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in sins and trans- transgressions, yep. but you have been made alive in Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of... Let's get back to or, the text. Or, or even like yeah. when Paul says, uh, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Mm. Like God, God powerfully, just like God spoke in the first creation, God powerfully speaks new life uh into a believing heart yep um yeah jackson the, the literally last one. we just had a lecture on some of this stuff and jackson yeah. just stole that from from john fesco so oh i did i yeah, was laughing <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're open about it yeah yeah it's helpful we don't have that many <laughs> original thoughts but the or other thing any. i'm thinking too in romans 6 paul says like you've been you've been baptized into christ and now walk in newness of life mm-hmm. so it's the same picture it is a picture of death spiritual death into spiritual life if that makes sense so back to yeah that was a bit of a digression but back to in romans eight thirty, uh like we said paul says those whom he predestined he also called those whom he called he also justified those whom he justified he also glorified so here's this this chain um whereby god is calling people um and it is those who he's who he's elected. And then in Romans 9, um, and this is just a, another example of, you know, it's the, it's the question of, of freedom of human will versus the sovereignty of God. But in, in Romans 9, 16, talking about election, Paul says, so then it does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And we've discussed that before, but the, the determining factor in the salvation of a person is the, is the mercy of God. And, you know, when we, <clears throat> just when we think about our own salvation or we think about like <clears throat> just, just salvation in general, our tendency is so often to just think about what has taken place in our lives and the things that, you know, we're responsible for. And so often you hear uh, just in like street level theology or oftentimes even in preaching, this huge emphasis on like, um, you, you need to make some you know, it's all about this decision you make and, and, uh, like we can just think about our, our salvation strictly in terms of our life and our decisions. Mm -hmm. And the Bible doesn't really do that. It actually takes us outside of the events that have happened in our life. And it roots our salvation back into a gracious decree of God that we would be saved and then called into newness of life. And yeah, there's just, one one text I think that that highlights this, um, and I think this is helpful for us to think about our own our own salvation. But the Apostle Paul, in Galatians, he's recounting his his own salvation experience, so to speak. And and I just want to see how like how much Paul's version of this is different from what you often hear people emphasize today. Like when you hear, hear someone saying a testimony, like how often. Uh, just, yeah, is, is it different from what Paul says here? So I'm going to read from Galatians 1, 11 through 15, and we'll see Paul's recounting of this. 
He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So that is Paul before his calling uh, and before his regeneration. And he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So that's what Paul was doing. He was persecuting the Christian church uh, and he was advancing zealously Judaism and trying to stamp out the Christian believers. And then listen to what he says in verse 15. This is how Paul is recounting his, uh, explaining his salvation experience. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he goes on, you know, then I went out to, uh, um, you know, then I, I didn't consult with anyone, but I went to Damascus, all of this. But in that, he's recounting his own experience of the grace of God in his life and his calling. And he emphasizes not his decision, uh, not his freedom of will, so to speak, but he emphasizes the sovereign grace of God mm-hmm. in his election and in his calling of Paul. Yeah, I would just add there, um, as we're wrestling through this together, what, right now in your mind, what is the foundation of your salvation? What is the surety of your salvation? Is it a decision that you made one night? Or is it founded on the electing of God before the foundation of the world of you? Mm-hmm. And you can just see it just in that example of um, the surety that comes through that second point, uh, that our salvation, the foundation <clears throat> of it is God's electing and predestining us before the foundation of the mm-hmm. world versus um, just a decision I made. And now that's not to say that there wasn't a point in time when uh, a decision per se was made. Um, and that's where we get into effectual calling. So it's there is a certain point in time when God gives you that internal call to new to new life in, in a point in time, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we're getting at today. Yeah, David, was that clear? Uh, Jackson, I'm Ruth? not sure. Well, I, I think the point being, like again, emphasizing this is not like <clears throat> the scriptures emphasize God's powerful grace in doing this. Yeah, as opposed to our autonomous decisions yeah whatever it is um but that doesn't mean that we were robotic in this yeah or that we were um manipulated by god or coerced by god uh but what 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 is emphasized in the scriptures is god's actual power uh in regeneration to bring about newness of life um yeah and then and then because of that we are able freely to choose him yeah is there is there anything that god tries to do which he cannot do. Right. Like, and that's kind of the part of the heart of the discussion is can God effectually call, try to call someone to, to Christ and for them to thwart that plan? Yeah. Who's, whose will is, is ultimate. Yep. Basically. Is it the will of the creature that is ultimate or is it the will of the creator that is ultimate? Mm -hmm. And what we're holding up in this is that God certainly and effectively 
will bring about the salvation of all of his people. All of his sheep. Yep. Yep. And that's not something that can be can be thwarted. Mm. God does whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, we're done with the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Last. So yeah, that, that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff from Paul. I want to emphasize also, um, I think Jesus was really clear on this as well. I'm going to go to a few texts and just read them quickly. And, and we've, we've kind of been through these before, uh, but hopefully this is, you'll, you'll see this in here. But I'm going to go to the Gospel of John, and I'm going to go to two passages quick and just read them. Um, I'm going to start in, in John 6, verse 35, and then I'm going to read from John 10. So in, in John 6, 35, it starts this way. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you who have s- that have seen me and yet do not believe. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. So there are people that un- are unbelieving amongst the ministry of Jesus. But listen to what Jesus says about this. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And after this, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So you see the unbelief. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there's a few examples there. Um, One, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And then also in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So there's a connection there between the one that the father draws Mm -hmm. and the one that Christ will raise up on the last day. So again, what's at stake here is the effectiveness of Christ as savior. Mm -hmm. Is Christ an effective savior? Can he lose something for which he purposed to save? And I think in John 6, we see pretty clearly the answer to that is no. So even in the face of unbelief uh, in our own time and in in the people we're around, we can know and trust that Christ is an effective Savior and that he will save all that the Father has given him. Um, The other example, John 10, and I think this one, uh, yeah, this is just a beautiful picture. So I'm going to start in verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father 
who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Amen. Amen. <coughs> now, I want you to notice there, too, the particularity of this. Because part of the, um, and we talked about this in the last episode, like when you really try to deviate from some of these doctrines, yep. you end up with Christ being a potential and a general Savior um, and not a personal and particular Savior. And I just want to notice, you know, Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Um, this isn't like, we just, we don't pr proclaim a Christ that offered himself for nobody in particular, but for everyone in general. We proclaim a Christ that is an effective savior um, and that knows his sheep and he calls them and they will follow them and he gives them eternal life and he holds them in his hand and he will lose none of those that the father has given him. And I, you know, just another part of this, like this kind of stuff can be really theologically up in the clouds. Um, it, 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 like we said, it's deep and complex. So if it's difficult to understand, that's okay. But it is passages like John 10 that really truly helped me to sleep at night yeah and man <clears throat> the hardships that would come your way in life what what better assurance to have mm -hmm. than what christ offers in these passages uh that he will save and that he will keep and that the emphasis on this is not in my own strength not in my own autonomous exercise of faith uh, not in my own wisdom or knowledge, mm -hmm. not in my own perseverance or ability, Preach. but in Christ and his ability to yeah. save. And that is, that is so much at the heart of this. Um, what comfort and what joy we can have uh, knowing that Christ is an effective and a personal Savior. Yeah. One note from today in class, um, one of the professors just said that when, when God speaks, things happen and you mentioned it, genesis 1 god speaks the whole creation into existence uh second corinthians five seventeen, god speaks us into new creations uh the story of lazarus in john 11 jesus says lazarus come out by his words he says that come out and lazarus yeah. comes out of the tomb um and the emphasis was that he was dead and stinking yeah so he was there <laughs> for a while but like your point jesus <coughs> calls him to life yeah effectively yeah and god's words are effective so how does that play into um just like one application um for us jackson i think we should talk about is just like evangelism um how does that play out in us preaching the word um in the pulpit and then also to the world um i think first and foremost we see that we are called to preach the gospel to all people um no matter who they are where they're from um jesus calls us to preach the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Um, and we are to go out and do that. Um, and we can, you have something? Oh, I was going to say the church as a whole, but yeah, like we need to consider our own part in that individually. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, yeah the, I'm just talking about the church, church as, as a whole. whole. Yep. And we can be confident. Uh, and this is how this plays into just like, I think we can think about these doctrines, big lofty, whatever you want to put them in and say, those are just like for people in seminary or whatever. But these things have 
everyday everyday application and so what i'm trying to draw out here is the everyday application of part of this is our evangelism and our witness and the confidence that we can have in the word of god and preaching the truths of the gospel to lost people and that it will always be effective and what i mean by that is not every single time you preach the gospel someone's going to come to uh, faith in christ and, and come to be a follower of christ but what i mean by that is the preaching of God's word is effective in the sense that it brings blessing or it brings curse, and it is always effective in doing so. Um, and the power behind the message is God's spirit that will, if if they are a lost sheep, if they are elected, it will bring them to salvation. And so no longer is it dependent on how well I can present the gospel, um, how charismatic I am, mm-hmm. um, how convincing I am, but rather just being faithful to the gospel truths, sharing them and leaving God to, to do the work. Yeah. It gives me, it gives me a lot of freedom. Yeah. And hope, mm-hmm. um, because I don't know about you guys. A lot of times I get rejected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good point, James. Well, um, I think we're pretty much wrapping up this episode. Um, but like 45 minutes, not bad, not too bad. I, I hope it's been helpful. Um, again, you know, we, we want to kind of bring this back to the big picture, which is that Christ is a powerful and effective savior. Yeah. Um, that we can have comfort and assurance in this. And I also just, you know, I, I encourage you guys to read in the scriptures and understand, you know, we talked about the word regeneration and, and walking in newness of life and speaking life into death and, and God made alive in Christ. Um, and I, I do want to consider like the Bible talks about these things. And I, I think it's really important for each of us to look at our own lives and, and the fruit of that. And actually to ask myself, am I, you know, as, as Paul says, am I a slave of sin or am I a slave of righteousness? Mm-hmm. What is it that is really driving um, my decisions and my thinking? And um, in that, like we just, we, we need to go to the scriptures and see like, what does the spirit of God do in a person's life? And, not 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 am I trying to be perfect, but is this is this like coinciding with my life in some way? Mm-hmm. And I think one way to do that, um, I know I, I heard one person that that would do this with people, but there's a passage in Galatians five where it lists Paul lists, uh, you know, he has these two things in mind, which is the the spirit and the flesh, the flesh being the sin nature, uh, the spirit being a new nature in Christ. And he lists against each other, the fruits of the spirit. Um, so that the, those things are characteristic of the lifestyle of a believer. And then he also lists the fruits of the flesh. So for example, and this is a good thing, like if you're curious about these things to actually like use as a mirror to look at yourself and ask yourselves these questions. Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires so this is this is part of the work that god's spirit does in us Um, and i just want to lift that up and and encourage you guys to to go and look at that passage it's in galatians 5 um, and really the whole passage is from verse 16 to verse 24 and to kind of use it like a mirror and to ask yourself like where do I need to grow? Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe even to ask yourself, like, am I, have I had this work of the spirit in my life? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I hope that would be helpful. 
Um, and I hope that it would help you to see uh, what a spirit-empowered life is supposed to look like. So with that, James, unless you have anything else to add, um, I think we've pretty much covered everything. And with that... Uh, well, one more thing. Okay. First uh, Corinthians 15. Like, If you want to see this dynamic kind of play out in real time... So 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I'm going to Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. Paul says, but by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in is with me. Um, and so you see that dynamic playing out in real time. Uh, Paul saying, I worked harder than anyone else. But it was the grace of God in me doing that. Yeah. So um, he doesn't even take credit. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, it's the same thing in our sanctification or justification um, and, and the the Christian life. Yeah. Uh, we are called to work out our salvation, but it is the grace of God and the spirit within us that is doing that. Yeah. And that's, again, like this is such a freeing thing. Yep. Um, like I, I can have a tendency. And, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm probably not alone in this, but. I can have a tendency. I could look at what the Bible says about the life of a Christian and, and what you're supposed to look like in all of this. And then I can look at myself and I could become extremely discouraged or I could find myself in, oh, yeah. in a place of sin where it's like, how am I going to get out of this rut? Yeah. And the reality is, is that God and the spirit of God has real power to transform a person's heart. Yep. And to deliver them from sin and and from darkness. So that should be an encouragement to us. It's not just, you know, hey, let me just work harder and try to do better. But I am relying on God's transformative power in my life. And that is a reality. Um, And that is a reality that, uh, listen, if, if you're like coming from a place where you don't know how to do this, like throw yourself at the mercy of God and ask for spiritual transformation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that is a, a prayer that God certainly loves to answer sometimes in difficult ways um, and sometimes through hard experiences. But uh, for those who are desiring to grow in godliness, um, that is, I think, a prayer that God really loves to answer. Yeah. And if well. God can save people like Jackson and myself, <laughs> okay. there is yeah, hope for you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I added myself in there. Uh, that's true. That's uh, a really good point. It's true, dude. It is. Well, <clears throat> Um, sorry, we kind of went, yeah, we went a little bit long, but I hope that's encouraging again. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we do pray that this would bless you, um, wherever you are today and and whatever it is, even that you may be going through or struggling with, uh, we want to lift up and exalt the power of God to save and to sanctify and to transform a life. So yeah, thanks again for listening. Hopefully you will tune in again next time.